it, Red Arms. Give it your all. We'll drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girls on down the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack of the Shadows. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Tales of Red Arm. I'm your host, Justin, and today we're going to jump into Chapter 42, Falma. Um, just a quick recap, I guess, before that, since I always do it in this order for some reason. Um, the last chapter, Chapter 41, um, we pretty much had Rand and company show up in a small town slash village out, a couple days outside of Falma. Um, and they were trying to discuss what they're going to do and how they're going to get closer to Falma, scouting, all that fun stuff, gathering information. And Rand has a, uh, final, or not really a final, but a encounter at the last part of the chapter, um, before it kind of skips to the next chapter. So, um, but this time we're going to be moving to a couple different point of views, Technically two original point of views, but there's more characters. Um, so the first one's going to be Nynaeve's perspective. And of course she is with Elaine. And they are in Falma. They are currently <laughs> dressed like uh, locals. Um, but at the beginning of the chapter, they're in this little alleyway between a cloth merchant shop and a potter's works. Um, when a Suldam and a Damane, uh, walk by and they're very cautious to not get too close to them because, you know, get nabbed and all that fun stuff. It's not as fun as it sounds, but, um, you could tell from the culture and how the Shan Shan have made their presence known i guess is the best way to look at it um people move out of their way they bow um you know whatever to get to keep out of sight and not be noteworthy but even for a soldam and demane they are very 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 much like i want to get out of the way i want to be as subservient as possible at least in appearance but some of the most of the people seem to be very very uh adamant about their belief of being subservient due to the fact that they feel like they're nothing they can do. Um, but Nynaeve's, you know, not liking seeing Soldam and Damane, obvious reasons. Um, she doesn't want that to happen to anyone, Moraine or even Leandrin. And she's like, okay, well, well, maybe Leandrin. <laughs> um, and currently, Elaine and Nynaeve are staying above a fishmonger. And when they're sleeping at night, before they go to bed, Nynaeve likes to think about what she'd do to Leandrin when she gets her hands on her. Leandrin more than Suroth, because Leandrin at least did what was antithetical to what she should be doing. Where Suroth is at least doing what seems to be coinciding with her culture. Um... But Nynaeve, even when she wants to, <laughs> even when she's like doing this daydreaming or I guess dreaming before sleep, 
uh, about Leandrin. She even shocks herself with how cruel she could be, but she is kind of delighted about how inventive she could be about it. But she spots this little bony guy down the street before a throng blocks him, but she gets a catch of a really big nose and a narrow face, wearing rich bronze velvet robes of Shan Chan cut. But she didn't think he was a Shan Shan, and the guy had a servant following him, apparently of a high degree, with one temple shaved. Um, the local people hadn't taken the Shan Shan fashions. Um, so she's like, well, that looked like put on Fane. Huh. And she's like, oh, it couldn't be. Not here. Um, but, I mean, obviously us readers have seen what's going on from multiple perspectives as opposed to a single one. So we know probably who it is. <laughs> um... Elaine's like, you know, could we move a little bit? The guy selling apples over there is looking at his table thinking, you know, he had a bit more a few moments ago, and I would not want to be him wondering where I have my pockets. And they're currently wearing just the sheepskin and fleece, you know, current local country garb. Um, it's passable in Falma because a lot of people came in from the farms and the villages, and there's a whole lot of stuff that has changed that it's... Not really a big deal anymore. But the things that had changed for like Nynaeve was that she had combed out her braid. Um, her accepted ring is nestled in her dress next to Lan's heavy ring on the cord around her neck. But Elaine's pockets were bulging quite suspiciously. So Nynaeve hisses at Elaine as they pull him out of the crowd on the street and is like... You stole them? Why do you have to steal? We don't have to steal, at least not yet. And Elaine's like, what do you mean I don't have to steal? Like, how much money do we have left? You have been, quote-unquote, not hungry very often at mealtimes the last few days. And Aunt Maeve's like, well, I'm not hungry. And then she's, like, feeling this hollow. It's like that perfect time where your stomach goes, because it's like, <laughs> yeah, you are hungry. We can hear it. Um... But she was surprised at how expensive everything had been. So, because the Shanshan had shown up, essentially the prices of everything had gone up. Because that's something that they have heard about from the local population, I guess. <laughs> the best way to describe it. Um, but she's like, hey, give me one of those. So Elaine digs out an, ap an apple out of her pocket. It's small and hard, but it crunched with this delicious sweetness. And Ineve's just like, oh, how did you manage to? And then she jerks Elaine to a halt and is like, did you, did you? And the insinuation is, did you channel? And Elaine's like, eh, oh, a little bit. I made a bunch of old melons with soft spots fall. And when he picked them up, you know, and then he was just like so mad that she didn't have the grace to even blush or look embarrassed. And he's like, just eating the apples. She's like, yeah, there's no need to frown at me like that. I looked carefully to make sure there's no demonic clothes. But Elaine has this viewpoint that if she was being held prisoner, she would not help her her captors find other women to enslave. Now, this shows a severe lack of understanding of the situation 
what's going on, how things are working functionally and whatnot, which we will find out more about in this chapter. So I'm going to leave that there until we get to the other part, but you'll notice it when you hear it. But she's like, well, the way the Fallmen believe, you think they were lifelong servants, so those should be their enemies to death. Yeah, but dying unnecessarily is not exactly the uh, the way to go. Um, but basically, you can pretty much tell where Sean Shen were going to be by the crowds rippling around them, so pretty easy to spot. And Elaine's like, well, they should resist and fight back. And, and he's like, but how against that? And at this point, a Sean Shan patrol shows up and everyone's getting like bowing and hands on knees and perfect smooth faces and everything. But there's 20 armored men and women in patrol that are riding horses. But she could, she has seen that some Sean Shan were riding things that looked like bronze scaled tailless cats. And a rider on one of the flying beasts was always enough to make her feel dizzy. She had she was glad that there were so few of them. Still, two leashed creatures trotted along with the patrol like wingless birds with coarse leather skin and sharp beaks higher above the cobblestones than the helmeted heads of the shoulder soldiers. Yeah, not shoulders. Huh. Their long sinewy legs looked as if they could run faster than any horse. Which kind of gives you the feeling of like an ostrich, but they're more, their beaks are a little bit bigger. And at first I was trying to figure out the bestiary, like exactly what these are. I thought they were corn, which are, fit the description with the exception of the leather skin. Um, corn have like a cat-like fur instead of feathers. But they pretty much lo look like the uh, the birds from Alice in Wonderland that the Queen uses to like play her golf game or whatever it is. Um, so they have that really big, sharp beak, and they're tall, longer necks, and can run really fast, and they're wingless. So I thought it was Corum because that is a beast that is notoriously used by the Shan Shan. But this has coarse leather skin, which is different than cat hair kind of skin so i'm not really sure what it's supposed to be exactly because it's really close to a quorum but it's not exactly a quorum so if you happen to know what that is please let me know um but when the sean shan patrol leaves they straighten up and they're like you know elaine if we're caught i swear that before they kill us or whatever I'm going to beg them on bended knees to let me stripe you from top to bottom with the stoutest switch I could find. And if you can't learn to be careful, maybe it's time to think about sending you back to Tarvalin or home to Camelin or anywhere but here. And Elaine's like, well, I am careful. Well, at least I looked to be sure there were no Demone nearby. What about you? I've seen you channel with one plane in sight. And Nynaeve's like, well, I was making sure they weren't looking at me. And she had to, like, get really angry at women being chained just to even manage it. And she's like, I only did it once, and it was only a trickle. And I was like, a trickle? We had to, like, hide for three days breathing fish while they searched the town for whoever had done it. You call that being careful? And Nynaeve's like, well, I had to know if there was a way to unfasten the collars. Now, I like Nynaeve to some extent at this point 
but this was stupid. Like, the one thing that they're capable of doing, because if you use the power and you're within a certain reach of someone, you can know someone's channeling the power unless it's hidden. And at this point, no one knows how to hide it. So, if you go to channel to, like, use the one power to scan a collar, the person who has the collar is going to feel the one power being directed at them and feel that it's nearby and is going to lose their mind if they're in the particular situation that the demonic are. And she wanted to test it. I'm like, you could, like wait for some of them to get out over there and then thump them over the head with the one power and when they're unconscious try to use it like physically that would make sense but i mean <laughs> i don't know what you're supposed to do with it in that regard but that ain't it <laughs> so naniv's trying to practice this for Egwene's sake, but also for the sake of really any woman who ever gets collared. Um, but it's it was the person... They thought that the Demone were prisoners eager to escape, but the woman in the collar had raised the, the, the warning. But Elaine's like, they should resist somehow. And it's like, okay, yeah. You go resist when you don't have any magic abilities... Against guys that use monsters, essentially, at least from the side of the world, they're considered monsters. Um, they use monsters, they use magic, and their guys are very, very well disciplined as soldiers. So even if there are less of them, they are going to roll over you like water breaking a sandcastle. It's, it's not even going to be a contest, guys. And that's probably what happened in the original attack, is that Falma tried to defend itself, and it got wrecked horribly. So it's not like this is the optimal solution for them, but it is what happened. But Elaine, being a spoiled royal, growing up with guards, castle, palace, walls, everything like that, which walls wouldn't do much for Chan Chan because they just blast a hole in it, but, or at least the gate, <laughs> But in that sense, what are you going to do? Like, he, none of that applies here. And she's like, well, they act like there's see nothing around them if there's Shan Shan in it. And it's like, well, yeah, because that's how you stay safe when you're a lowly peasant and someone with power and the ability and the means to just wipe you out is there. Otherwise, you have no population. But Nanive's like, oh, I think Elaine's a little right, at least. But, you know, some of this submission by the locals has to be at least somewhat fake. But there's no real resistance at all. And when she had talked about it a little bit, people were like askance that she would actually ask it. And so she had to stop asking to not gather wrong attention and whatnot. It's like, yeah, monsters and Aes Sedai. How can you fight monsters and Aes Sedai? Like, even if they wanted to fight, there's no way they could fight. So, they see one of these uh, houses that are one of the largest in the town, and they take up basically a whole block. 
And they found this alleyway nearby a tailor shop, and they could see basically the tall houses. And they're looking at them. And basically, this is one where women walk in and out of the houses. And you see High Lord Turok's golden hawk banner flapping in the wind above it. But women go in and out of the houses, but they're like Suldam, either alone or with Damane in tow. And the Shanshan pretty much took them over to house the Damane. And that's where they think Egwene is. And probably men too, but they hadn't found any sight of men, so maybe she was just in the crowds like they were. And then that Nynaeve heard, you know, lots of women and girls being seized in the streets, brought in from the villages. They all went to those houses, and if they were ever seen again, they wore a collar. So, they settle on a crate and just eat some more apples and whatnot, and they're looking around, and everyone knows what these houses are, and everyone avoids them, as if they would avoid stables where the Shanshamp keep their monster beasts. But it's not really difficult to keep an eye on the doors, because with different passerbys and whatnot, the two women just stop in a far bite, like they can't afford to eat an inn. But nothing really attracts a passing glance. But at this point, Nanny's just eating more mechanically but she wants to open the collar but it didn't do any good if she can't reach Egwene and the thought did not appeal to her because now the apples didn't taste very sweet now we're going to be switching point of view and Egwene's going to be the main portion for the rest of this chapter uh, we're still in Sean Chan <laughs> we're still in Falma not Sean Chan Shan Chan controlled territory, yes. Not Shan Chan. Um, and essentially, Egwene is in this tiny room. Uh, that's a whole bunch of them that are kind of walled together. I would assume like small renting spaces. Probably a bunch of like studio type rooms. And there's a garden outside of these houses. And... The Demane get taken on their walks from their Suldam to give them exercise, all that fun stuff. So Egwene's sitting at the window, looking out, watching Rena with uh, other Suldam talking together. And pretty much as long as she spots Rena, Rena's not going to surprise her. So a random other Suldam show up because there's a lot more Suldam than there are Demane. And every Suldam wants their turn wearing a bracelet. Um, and... The term used is called being complete, but Rena has the charge of the training. So Rena wore a bracelet four times out of five. Anybody else shows up, there wouldn't be any way to stop them from entering because there's no locks on the doors of the Demane rooms. Um, there's pretty much just the bed, a washstand, the chair, and a table. Uh, it's very, very small, very, very small studio. Um, According to the Shanshan, Demane had no need for comfort, privacy, or possession because they were themselves possessions. Uh, Min had a different room like this in a different house, but she could go and come as she wished, um, almost as she would want to, because the Shanshan have rules, and those rules outnumber that of the novices at the White Tower. So, Egwene's checking out this window, a little bit away from the window, she didn't want anyone to see them, see the glow that she's knew surrounded her. And she's delicately trying to probe the collar on her neck using the one power, which 
to this day, I will not understand why they do this, because to put them on and take them off, the Soul Dom does not use any of the One Power to do this. So why would you probe it with the One Power when several things happen? And one, Egwene is at least slightly aware of, um, which we'll see at the end of the chapter. And the other is just that if it can be done, you should be able to just touch it with your finger. But if you can't touch it with your finger, well, then you can't do it. Um, and she's not really sure because the collar is either a band that was woven or if it was made of links. Sometimes it feels like one, sometimes like the other. But it was the same piece at all times. Um, and essentially, if she tries to embrace the one power while having a collar on her and not being given permission to by a soul dom, it essentially... Essentially, it pretty much makes her just sick. And the more that she tries to channel, the more sick she gets. Like, and in this case, she has a a reference to trying to uh, light a candle within arm's reach. She would pretty much throw up vomiting because no one's holding the the other side of the idom. Um, but basically, they go on and. The Silver Leak... Leak. <laughs> Man, I am having trouble speaking today. Isn't it just a fun day-to-day? -day? The silvery, silvery Leash <laughs> is kind of snaking across the floor. And it makes you wonder how long this leash is. Because it's never, like, given a specific length. But it's like, is this a jump rope? Is this, like, a, uh, one of those little lanyard things that you can, like, pull and it extends and it comes back in because it retracts? They don't really state what it is, but it seems like it's a dog leash, but like a super long one. I would assume it had to be moderately long to be on like two different horses. Um, but it's also something that they, I guess, would have to roll up when they're standing right next to each other because of how much it is. But I would imagine it's somewhere between seven to eight feet long. Um... If a Damani moves the bracelet as much as a foot from where it had been touched by a Suldam, um, which Rena had made her do, and then carry her bracelet across the room, or even try to, it had been minutes before the Suldam snaps the bracelet on her wrist, and Egwene was pretty much just screaming and had cramps and writhing on the floor what felt like hours, even though it was only minutes. So she can't touch her own stuff. And this is where it gets strange to me, I guess? Um, I'm not sure how it's supposed to work in terms of the overall thing, because next there's a tap on the door, and Egwene jumps, but then it's not a Suldam, because they wouldn't knock, they would just go in. So she lets Sidar go, because she's a freaking moron at this point. And she's like, Min? And then Min walks in saying, hey, I'm here for my weekly visit. I'm thinking, so now you could just have her pick up the, the bracelet and just crawl out a window <laughs> like you might not be able to get it off right this instant but at least if she's picking it up you're not picking it up so you're not feeling sick um there i don't recall them having this 
knowledge of what it would do or not do, but they haven't tried it. And since Egwene seems determined to try everything that would make her sick and ill, why would you not try this one? I mean, yeah, Egwene can't channel and Egwene can't do anything herself, but with men there going, Ooh, pick up the pick up the bracelet and saunter out of there. You could potentially be gone and nobody see what's happening, although Egwene decidedly does look like a Damani. Um and Min would have to have her cloak around her and they'd have to hide the collar and a whole bunch of other things. They'd have to do some fancy shenagling to get out of the town, let alone hide. <laughs> but they would probably have the beast monster things chasing them down, so they might not get too terribly far, but at least it would give them time to find out how to take the collar off, potentially. And if they managed to, then they could just find a way out. Now, in this case, there are other ways to do this because um, what Min brings as quote-unquote good news, but we'll get to that in a second. So Min's like, hey, I'm here for my weekly visit. How do you like it? And she spins around in this little dark green wool dress of Sean Chan cut, and it's she's got a heavy matching cloak over her arm, which isn't really that big of a uh, description or necessary for anything, but it does have some potential to explain some of the things that I was mentioning earlier with like, you know, covering her, her Damane dress and whatnot, and then just walking out. Um, but something else that kind of describes men a little bit better since a whole lot has been described about her is that there was a green ribbon, uh, catching up her dark hair, though her hair was hardly long enough for it. So in other words, she's has I'm, I'm not even sure if it's like a ponytail or if it's hanging off the side like a pigtail or what it is supposed to really do but she doesn't really have a lot of hair on her head that's like long enough to really do this at this point um but that kind of gives you an idea of how much hair's on her head which is always a fun description filler um she still has a knife at her waist and Egwene's surprised that she had it because the Shan Shan apparently seemed to trust everyone until they broke a rule. Um, Egwene's like, uh, it's pretty, but why? And Min's like, eh, well, I haven't, you know, joined the enemy or anything, but uh, is this or find someplace else to stay out, out in the town, maybe not visit you again. But she tries to sit in the chair like she would in breeches, but she can't, so she turns around to sit because dress doesn't really work that way. And she pretty much mocks the the old hag Moulin. And it was like, everyone has a place in the pattern, and every place of everyone must be readily apparent. And not apparently knowing what her spot was on site made me pretty much rank with the serving girl, so I can, you know, wear this or go out. So, But then she points out some of the things that the Sean Shan serving girls wear. And the ones to serve the lords. And she makes a statement. It might be fun, but not unless I was betrothed or better yet, married. Now, a lot of people look at the Wheel of Time and its kind of cultures that are a bit more traditional in some instances and other instances very much not so. Uh, depends on the culture you're looking at. And they typically... Some people don't like the fact that they have these more or less traditional, I guess, cultural values in terms of not like 
sleeping with someone before they're married or whatever, which is what the two rivers in that particular country typically leans towards. Not everyone necessarily follows it, but that's the, the traditional thought process and whatnot in that area. Um, but this kind of shows that, like, the concept is like, oh, yeah, I mean, ooh, have you seen what they wore? I mean, that, that looks great, but, yeah, not really until I was betrothed or even better yet, you know, married. And for some reason, people have a problem with the fact that this exists because you should be able to do whatever you want, which is like, well, that's your opinion. Different cultures have different things. Some cultures are more like that, like the, uh, the Domani, um, from Arad Daman, they have very, very body clinging type dresses that makes men's mouth just drop and salivate like crazy because their bodies sway and you know it's a very sexually charged style of dress and that's their culture that's their means to do merchant agreements and other things like that with people by pretty much blinding the person who they're dealing with with this overwhelming uh you just pretty much blind them with just attractiveness i guess would be the best way to go around it but that's their culture where if you go to a small village like the two rivers they would not approve of that right because it's a different culture but just because they wear those very revealing kind of outfits that are almost translucent doesn't mean they jump in the sack with literally anyone and everyone they see. They make promises that aren't there, or they make them think that there are promises made that aren't there, and that's how they make deals. That's why the Domani women typically run the merchant guilds and stuff like that. There's occasionally a guy, but it's mostly women, due to the fact that they're just really hard to deal with and them not run away with the profit. It's the same thing with the sea folk, where they can move merchant goods the furthest, the fastest through water lines and trade across the coast and everything, but they can out-barter someone in that regard. So it's it's their thing. It's not mean that everyone in, like all the women in Arad Daman are sleeping around or whatever, and not that their culture is super, super tight, but not super, super loose either. But this does point out kind of Min's particular stance on this and how she would react to things. So I thought this one line was a really good line to kind of explain kind of that culture, since a lot of people don't like it, other people don't care, and other people do like it. So if you, if you have those kind of things around it, just remember that there are several different civilizations in this series. They have their own unique ways they handle these things you'll have to either like it or not like it, but it doesn't change the fact that it exists that way. Um, but then she goes on and she's like, well, you know, Mulane burned my coat and breeches, you know, breeches, I guess, breeches is what I can <laughs> um, She's like, well, it isn't so bad, except it's been a long while since I wore skirts, so I keep tripping over them. But Egwene had to watch her clothes be burned and all that lovely green silk, but she's kind of glad that she didn't have to bring all that stuff that Lady Amalisa had given her, but she probably will never see them or, you know, the tower again. But she has the same dark gray that all Damane wore. And Damane ha have no possessions. 
because the dress Adamane wears, the food she eats, the bed she sleeps in, all the gifts from her Soldan. And if a Soldan chooses that Adamane sleep on the floor instead of on a bed or in a stall on a stable, it is purely the choice of the Soldan. Mulane was in charge of the Demane quarter, quarters and has a droning nasal voice, but she was very sharp that any Demane who did not remember every word of her boring lecture. Um, and Egwene's pretty much like, well, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to go back. You know, Rena gave me a test yesterday and I picked out a piece of iron ore and a copper ore blindfolded and every time she mixed them up. Then she left me, left them here with me to remind me of my success. She seems to think it was some kind of a reward to be reminded. And it's like, well, that can't be any worse than everything else. Like, making people explode for fireworks. But have you lied? Told her you didn't know which one was which? And this is something where Min has to kind of get filled in with what Egwene knows, and Egwene gets filled in by Rena and other things, which is, you don't know what it's like. She tugs the collar, and pulling doesn't do anything more than channeling. But this, I, I kind of just read the particular phrase. When Rena is wearing the bracelet, she knows what I'm doing with the power, and what I am not. Sometimes she even seems to know when she isn't wearing it. But she says the Soldam develop what they call an affinity after a while. And no one had ever thought to text this on me, but then it goes on with, Earth is one of the five powers that was the strongest in men. So men and women have very different uh, strengths, which is one of the reasons that the system of the one power, Sidene and Sidar, they work fine separately, but they work better when put together. And the symbol they use in the series for this uh, system is kind of the yin-yang, but it's just a white teardrop and a black teardrop. There's no little dot in it. It's, it doesn't have the same connotation that yin-yang does, which is, you know, we're, we're good with a little bit of evil in us or we're evil with a little bit of good in us. It's literally not that at all. It's specifically um, Sidene and Sidar. And when they work in conjunction, it's a complete circle. Um, so in this case, you know, Earth is one of the five powers that's the strongest in men. And the opposite of this is water, which is, from what I remember correctly, water is the best in women. And they have kind of like a mixture when it comes to fire and, you know, spirit and all that stuff. But this is something where it's rare to see this development in women to this extent. Because it's normally common in men that they obviously can't have men because men go crazy psychopathic nonsense. Um, but she's like, when I picked out those rocks, she took me outside of the town and I was able to point right to an abandoned iron mine. It was all overgrown, wasn't any opening to see at all, but once I knew how, I could feel the iron ore still in the ground, and it hasn't been enough to make it worth working in a hundred years, but I knew it was there, and I couldn't lie to her. And, and she's like, well, as soon as I sensed the mind, she knew that I did, and she was excited and promised me pudding after my supper, which I feel like, even if that is the culture you grew up, that sounds just ridiculous in every sense of the word. Uh, people don't even do that with their dogs, at least not normal people. And she's like, well, apparently I'm now too val valuable to be wasted making things explode. And the value that is put on a Demani is what they're capable of doing and what they have in their repertoire of skills. So because that she can 
find ore in the ground, and only a handful can do that, she becomes extremely valuable. And now she just wishes that all she could do is make things explode. And she hates tearing trees apart and blowing up earth and splintering trees and, you know, all the stuff for battle uh, killing and all that stuff. Um, but whatever they're trying to do when they touch Sidar, she wanted that feeling, whether it was exploding things up or whatever. Um, and she hates the stuff that she has to do for the Suldom, but she wants to be able to control more of the power that she pretty much could before she left Tarvalin. So she's like developed her, I call it a bowl, like her bowl of how much Sidar she could con contain. But despite having that ability, it doesn't quite necessarily push it over the top, if that makes sense. Like she's, she's constantly developing and what she's capable of handling but she doesn't want to have anything to do with tearing the earth apart to kill men. But Min's like, well, maybe you don't have to worry about it too long. I found us a ship. The captain has been held here by the Shanshin is about ready to sail without, with or without permission. And Egwene's like, well, if he can take him in, go with him. I'm too valuable, like I said. And in a few days, Rena told me they're sending a ship back to Shanshan just to take me. And Min just, her grin gets wiped off of her face. And she's like, hurls her rock on the pile of table and scattering them. He's like, there has to be a way out of here. Take that bloody thing off your neck. There has to be a way. And Egwene's like, well, Sean Chan have collected every woman they've been able to find. You can channel even a speck. They come from all over, not just in Falma, but from fishing villages, farming towns, inland, Terrabonner and, and Dumani women. Uh, passengers off ships, they stop. And there are even two Aes Sedai here. And it's like, oh, Aes Sedai! And, you know, looks around to make sure no Sean Shan had heard her saying that. And she's like, well, if there's Aes Sedai, they can help us. Let me talk to them. And he's like, they can't even help themselves, man. Like, seriously. Like, I've talked to one. Her name's Rima. The Suldom don't call her that, but that's her name. And she wanted to make sure I knew. And she told me there was another. Between between bouts of tears is when she told me. She's Aes Sedai and she's crying. She's collar on her neck. They make her answer to Pura. And I can't do anything more about it than I can. And they captured her when Falm fell and She's crying because she's beginning to stop fighting against it and she cannot take being punished anymore. And she's crying because she wants to take her own life, but she can't even do that without permission. And I know what that feels like. And Min's like, oh, you don't want to actually like harm yourself, do you? I'll get you out of here somehow. I will. And he's like, oh, I'm not going to kill myself. Even if I wanted to, I couldn't. Let me have your knife. I won't hurt myself. Just hand it to me. So Min pulls out the, the knife and hands it to her very, very steadily and very, very cautiously. And Egwene just like, touches the hilt and as her hand comes within a foot of the knife she gets this cramp that contorts her fingers and she has to force her hand closer but the cramp seized her whole arm knots the muscles up to her shoulder and with a groan she sinks back rubbing her arm and just like concentrating on basically not touching the knife and then the pain begins to lessen and Min's like what I don't get it well <laughs> go figure Min that's the theory or the, the theme basically for the entire series of this part um, and then Egwene decides to enlighten her with Demani are not allowed to touch women of a weapon of any kind. Even the meat's cut for them. I don't even want to hurt myself and I couldn't if I wanted to, but they're not allowed to, they don't leave Demani alone where they could jump from high height or the windows nailed shut or throw herself in the river, etc. Min's like, well, a good thing, but I mean, it's a good that you don't want to jump in the river, but Hey, if you jumped in the river, you might escape. And then she's like, well, they're training me. 
and the Soldom and the Idom are training me. I can't touch anything I think of as a weapon. A few weeks ago, I considered hitting Ren over the head with the pitcher, and I could not pour wash water for three days. Once I thought of it that way, I had not only to stop myself from thinking about hitting her, I had to convince myself I would never, ever, under any circumstances, hit her with it before I could touch it again. She knew what had happened, told me what I had to do, and would not let me wash anywhere except with that pitcher and bowl. So what we're seeing with this is this constant theme of how the IDOM affects women who can channel. This is important information for later on in the series that basically tells you, like, anytime you come across a woman with an IDOM around her neck, this is what she can and cannot do. So if you think of, like, oh, well, she could just do this, and this is telling you what she is capable of doing or not capable of doing. Um, but, you know... It happened between your visiting days, so Rena made sure I spent days sweating from time when I woke up, and then I fell asleep exhausted. I'm trying to get, like, keep fighting them and whatnot, but they're training me as surely as they're training Pura, and then she claps her hand over her mouth and is like, oh, her name's Rima. I have to remember her name, not the name they gave her. And she's Rima, and she's Yellow Aja, and she's fought them as long as hard as she could, and it's no fault of hers that she hasn't the strength to fight left anymore. And she doesn't know who the other one was, but just remember remember us, men. Rhyme of the Yellow Aja and Egwene Alvir. Not Egwene the Demani, but Egwene Alvir of Evansfield. Can you remember that? And men's like getting really upset because she's like, stop it right now. If you're going to Sean Chan, I'll be right there with you. But I don't think you will be because I've read you, Egwene, and I don't really get most of it. I never do, almost. <laughs> But I see things, I'm sure, that link you to Rand, Perrin, and Matt, and even Galad will help you for a fool. But how can any of that happen if the Shan Shan take you over across the ocean? Gwen's like, well, I mean, maybe they're going to conquer the world. If they conquer the whole world, then there's no reason Rand and Galad and the rest could not end up in Shan Shan. <laughs> I love this phrase for men. You ninny-headed goose. And Gwen's like, hey, I'm just being practical. I don't intend to stop fighting, but as long as I can breathe. But I don't see any hope I'll ever have the Idom off to me. Just like I don't have any hope that anyone's going to stop the Shan Shan. And if the ship captain's going to take you men, go with them. At least that will get one of us free. But then the door swings open and Rena steps in. And Gwen jumps to her feet and bows. So does men. But the room's literally so small they can't really bow while they're in there. But the product protocols the big deal for the Shan Shan and comfort is kind of on the back burner. And Rena's like, Oh, it's your visiting day. I'd forgotten. Well, we still have to train even on visiting days. So Gwen watches as the Soldom takes down the bracelet, opens it, puts it on and she can't see how it's done. But if she could probe it with the one power, maybe she could have, but Rena would have known immediately. And the bracelet closed around Rena's wrist a look came onto the Soldom's face that made Egwene's heart sink. It's like, oh, you've been channeling. There's a spark of anger in her eyes, but her voice is kind of deceptively mild. Like, you know that's forbidden except when you are complete. Or when we are complete, which is them together. And Egwene lips her, wets her lips and it's like, well, maybe I've been too lenient with you. Perhaps you believe that because you are valuable, you will be allowed license to do whatever you want. I think I made a mistake in letting you keep your old name. I had a kitten named Thule when I was a child. From now on, your name is Thule. You will go now, Min. I'll, your visiting day with Thule is ended. So Min hesitates just for a second and gives an anguished look at Egwene before leaving. 
Min couldn't say or do anything that would just make matters, except for making matters worse. And Egwene looked at her longingly, but then Rena takes the chair, frowning at Egwene. I'm just going to read this part because it explains things and whatnot. It's, uh, we'll just go over it. <laughs> I must punish you severely for this. We will both be called to the Court of the Nine Moons. You for what you can do, I as your Suldam and trainer. And I will not allow you to disgrace me in the eyes of the Empress. I will stop when you tell me how much you love being Damane and how obedient you will be after this. And Tuli, make me believe every word. So, that's the end of the chapter, but before we close that section, I do want to cover this a little bit. Rena is now taking this a bit more seriously because Egwene's kind of been combative in how everything's kind of gone down. Obviously, you'd expect Egwene to be combative because she doesn't want to be a, a, a Demone, but Rena doesn't obviously care. None of the Shan Shan care what they want. Um, but in this regard, uh, essentially, because they're going to the Court of the Nine Moons, because that's the ship coming back, so Rena and Egwene would be going back to Shandar, which is the uh, capital and the Court of the Nine Moons, where the Empress is, um, pretty much because her ability to sense iron and copper ore, she's going to be pretty much in good favor for pretty much the rest of her life. And pretty much Rena's like, you're not going to disgrace me in the eyes of the Empress, so you're not going to be resistant or anything of that nonsense. I will stop when you tell me how much you love being Damani and how obedient you will be after this. And make me believe every word. Um, that's essentially a hardcore training session for a Demone. Is what it really is. So, but yeah, that's the end of the chapter. Um, there's a lot to learn about Demone and pretty much how the the Idom works, the Suldom's part that plays in this, and everything. Like, it's very knowledge based. Um, which is kind of weird considering it's it's kind of a slow chapter for all intents and purposes. Like, it's it's a build-up, it's taking information, putting it to pieces, putting it together, and making the puzzle seem more comprehensible. But, yeah. So, <laughs> um, Nynaeve and Elaine are trying to find, essentially, a way to spring Egwene and Min out, and... I mean, if other women wanted to get out as well, that'd be something as well they could do. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, Min kind of sticking around with Egwene, but they're not sure what's going to happen. So, it's, it's going to be a little tense for them for a little bit. But hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode, this last chapter. Um... There's a lot more descriptions of things for you in the book that I didn't want to cover because you should still be reading the book and everything. Um, it's a read-along, not a read-for. <laughs> I suppose you could technically get most of the story out of it, with, but some of those descriptions are really valuable in building your imagination about what you're seeing and everything, but not everybody sees that way when they read books, so I understand. But... Uh, now, the next chapter, chapter 43, is going to speed up a bit. A little bit. Not a whole lot, but a little bit. 
Um, <laughs> and it's going to be a little bit of humor in it that I think is going to be fun. But, yes, uh, hopefully you guys enjoys this particular episode chapter. Um, we're getting closer and closer and closer to ending this uh, book and moving on to the next one. I think book four is where it really, really snowballs, but book three kind of is the beginning of it. Um, so hopefully you guys will stick around and enjoy it. And if you guys could, I definitely appreciate it if you could share podcasts with other people and bring in more people to communicate with and um, have questions asked and just have, have more interaction. It'd be, it'd be more fun that way, I think. But... If you wanted to ask a question yourself or somebody else had a question and you want to let them know how to get to it, me or some way to express what they want, uh, there is an email address, which is talesofredarm at gmail.com that you can send emails to and I can hear from you directly. Or you can go on social media for Facebook or Twitter. Um, on Facebook, it's just Tales of a Red Arm. And on Twitter, it's at Tales of a Red Arm. Um, just pop in and comment on something or direct message me in some way, um, whatever, whatever would work best for you. That'd be great. I'd love to hear from you guys about what you think, um, how it's going, what's going on. Um, but yeah, uh, next, next episode slash chapter is going to be fun. I think at least slightly humorous for my part. So hopefully you'll stick around. So Thanks, everybody, for hanging out, and hopefully you'll join me next time. So, until then. We drink all night and dance all day, and on the girls will send our pay. And when we're done, then we'll away to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall, and snuggle the girls be they short or tall. And follow young Matt wherever he goes to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall And some of the girls be they short or tall Then follow Lord Matt wherever he calls To dance with Jack and the Shadows We'll give a yell with a bloody curse And hug the mags, it could be worse Let's ride away with the dark woods first To dance with Jack and the Shadows